Howdy, folks. Hope you are out there uh, using this time to practice defining your why. Speaking of which, I'm here talking with my mom, Barbara Bray, about her upcoming conversation with Elizabeth Bostwick. Hi there, mom. Oh, hi, Andrew. I'm so glad we can do this. Keep doing this. This is so wonderful. It, so it I keep seeing, I get to see you in Zoom, but I also get to talk to you and introduce uh, my guest. And I love, this is Elizabeth or Liz Bostwick, who I just adore. She she is sharing so much online right now during this uh, crisis. And I just watch what she shares and I, I'm just amazed about her. Plus, I love her dog. I don't, I think I mentioned that to you, but I mentioned it in the, we mentioned it in the conversation and I, and I know Liz is going to put a picture up. So uh, I, I'm just really honored that I had a conversation with her. I'm glad. Well, folks, you stay tuned and listen to a conversation with Barbara Bray and Liz Bostwick. I have the most wonderful person here. I am so glad that you joined me. This is Elizabeth Bostwick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Barbara. Oh, I am too. I just followed you for so long. I have your book. Such is my heart that you're here. And this is so wonderful. Well, likewise. And it was such an honor to meet you this past year at ISTE. So that was fantastic. I know. That was fun. I, I love when we can all get together like that and finally say, oh my gosh, you're the famous. And then everyone yeah. goes, oh, but you're the famous. You know how we are. So yes. let me, I'm going to introduce you to my audience. So um, I'm going to boast a little bit about you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Liz, we can go by Liz. Is a multi-award winning educator who is passionate about creating the conditions to spark curiosity and unleash creativity to empower learning. Oh, I just have to say, I like that. <laughs> of course you do. Yes. <laughs> okay. You're also the author of Take the Leap, Ignite a Culture of Innovation. And I just love that book. And we're going to talk about it. Awesome. It's just what people need right now. And Driven to elevate education, Liz speaks at both local and national conferences to support educators in their journey to foster cultures of innovation and authentic learning experiences for their students. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I just love this. And and we have a lot to talk about. This has been a, um, interesting times, but I always like to go back. So I have people start with their background. Tell me a little bit where you grew up and a little bit about you when you were young. Sure. So I am born and raised in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York. So every time people hear I'm from New York, they think New York City, but nope, we're up by the Finger Lakes. So it's really a beautiful area. So I was able to grow up um, going to state parks and go hiking and, and all of that. So it's it's been a great place to grow up. I have one older sister who's five years older than me. So when she was out of the house, then I got the experience of what it felt like to be an only child in a way for a while. So that was always interesting too. And I have both my mom and dad who still live nearby, which is fantastic. Um, my husband and I thought that we would always, that we wouldn't settle down here, but before you knew it, here we were. So we still live in the same place that I grew up, which is something we never expected. But I'm, I'm really glad because my parents have been such a great role in our children's lives. So I've been a classroom teacher for 15 years. And last year, I transitioned to the role of an instructional coach. And so I kind of wear a lot of hats in that role. So some days I do instructional coaching. Sometimes it's more technology integration support. And 
Um, I also work on the side as what I call an innovative teaching and learning consultant and a speaker. So, you know, at the heart of it all, I just believe that our children have so much inner potential. And my goal is really to inspire educators to create the conditions to empower learning. Oh, it's a great job. Well, I'm I have a, I know a little bit about coaching. <laughs> yes, I know you do. <laughs> and I think it's such a valuable job. And um, you said you have your own children. So I have two boys, Julian and Nolan, and they are 28 months apart, which, you know, we thought that was going to be perfect so that they could be best friends. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyone who's a parent knows that there's, you know, those ups and downs. But yeah, here we are raising two teens. My husband is, is a principal at an intermediate school. So he's in his, I believe it's his eighth year as, uh, in administration. And he just loves his job. And, you know, I'm fortunate to have married my best friend. We met in college mm-hmm. years ago. And um, our boys definitely keep us on our toes. There's always, there. it's funny how two kids can come from the same family and be very different from one another. So it's always fun. You know, it's fun to see them grow and change and evolve throughout the years. But they've also provided me with just a really unique perspective with what education and learning really means. And I've really been able to learn through their eyes. And I can't leave out that we also have three pets. We have a 19-year-old cat named Aerie who we've had since grad school. So she's moved several locations. And we have our two dogs, Bella and Chloe. Chloe is our newest addition, and she's a five-month-old puppy right now. I love Chloe. Is, oh, she's a golden you. doodle, right? She is. Yes. We're, we're training her as a therapy dog right now. So working oh, at it at least. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. Are you going yeah. to keep her or as a therapy we're dog? Gonna, yeah, we're going to keep her. And um, my hope is I would love to be able to see if I could bring her with me to schools on some occasion oh. to work with kids. So she we'll is see. the cutest golden doodle I think I've ever seen. Oh. We'll have to put a picture up for everybody. Sure, we will. Oh, I want a golden. I'm I'm a golden. I've had goldens and I don't have any right now. They passed, and wow. so I saw the picture of yours. I showed it to my. <laughs> Showed the picture to my husband and said, "This is what I want." <laughs> like oh, Chloe, <laughs> she is such a character too. It's yeah. funny. She's she's a smart smart little lady. Oh, she's beautiful. You even had her in the snow. See, I've been following you. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. What's your husband's name? His name is Michael. So, but he goes by Mike Bostwick. Ah, uh, yep. that's you having all those boys. At least you had to have a girl. That's why you got. Cl- that's right. <laughs> All, th- all three of our pets are actually females oh, right now, so. <laughs> they protect you there, yeah. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're balanced. That's so cute. And, you know, I always ask this one other question because I always wonder what it was like for you as a student, if that was one reason why you became a teacher or. So looking back, um, I think I know now more today than I would have realized at the time, of course, as a child of what I needed to be most successful. So as much as I really enjoyed certain aspects of learning, I also found many subjects, especially within mathematics, to feel complicated. And if I felt put on the spot or ridiculed or ashamed that I shouldn't, that I didn't understand it, I would just kind of shut down or pull back from it. And I don't think anybody purposely made me feel that way. Um, but sometimes it's the way that we perceive things is people respond to us. So I have to be honest, like sometimes I found socializing with my peers to be more engaging at times. Um, and I really enjoyed sports. I was an avid athlete all through school and, huh. and I really loved um, everything from running to dance multiple times a week and, and things like that. So but I had a handful of teachers who really just made a great impact on me. And they were really the ones that knew what it meant to foster authentic relationships, 
and a classroom culture that embraced every individual and those who engaged us in learning that felt meaningful and provided choice. And on the flip side, I also had educators who created a culture that revolved around fear of what your grades would be or if you were to speak out. So I think every experience has taught me something, you know, like whether it's what to do or what not to do. Well, that's good because as a teacher, you kind of know what you don't want to do. And also as a coach, you probably even noticed some things and it's, uh, you have to be really careful how you work with some teachers because they may not take it too personally, but not realize that you're just trying to help. Yeah. And then as a child, I was very shy to speak out and share my thoughts. I, I didn't know how it would be received. Um, but at the, at the same time, I mean, I, I don't think anybody knew that I had those feelings, you know? Um, And it's interesting because then when I was in college at different times, I struggled to find my way and know what it was that I wanted to do. And to be honest with you, I, if somebody had asked me when I was 18, 19, what are you going to go do? I never would have said, I'm going to go be a teacher. And, um, and that surprises some people because a lot of my teacher friends are like, I used to play school when I was a kid and, (laughs) and, you know, we're all different. I played school as a kid too, but I really didn't think I was going to go into education. And so my, my real passion, and I did honestly change my major several times, but, um, my real passion was understanding how the brain learns and psychology. Hmm. So once I was able to connect that passion to how you can use that within education and have an impact I think I had this understanding in my thought of, oh my gosh, some of the ways that I was learning, now I I, I began to connect the dots on why I didn't understand certain things or why I may have felt the way that I did. And I saw saw it as an opportunity where I could do something different and really have an amazing impact on kids. So um, when you started teaching, what did you teach? Elementary, middle? I mean- I did. Well, I started out in a couple roles. So I started out um, in a long-term substitute position for half of a year. And then the following year, I got hired into a fourth grade teaching position. So that was where I started. I love fourth grade. I mean, I, I do too. It's, yes. it's one where I did a lot of coaching with fourth grade because I was sixth grade teacher, but I liked the when they started doing projects. Did you yes. just start doing projects there? or Honestly, not not right away. So I think that's that's what's interesting is that um, when I was first a brand new teacher, I had such a fresh perspective of what it was going to look like and how I was going to teach and all of that, right? I mean, I think yeah. we all do as brand yeah. new teachers, mm-hmm. but then you fast forward a few months and suddenly I found myself sitting at our kitchen table with teacher manuals and assessment materials sprawled out before me. And um, before you knew it, I felt pressure to stay on pace with everybody else and prepare materials for state assessments and it didn't feel like anything what I thought teaching was going to be. Well, I've been fighting the state assessments in this test for <laughs> about 30 years because I yeah. feel like they don't make any sense. They really don't help the kids that much. And so it, it's kind of neat. Did you always stay a fourth grade teacher or did you? No, I, I also taught second grade too. So I've taught second grade and um, I have some experience in kindergarten and first grade and fifth grade as well. But most of my time has been in fourth grade, has been where I've been the most. How long did you teach before you became a coach? 15 years. Oh, wow. So you have a lot of experience. Were you always at the same school or? Nope. I've been between two different elementary schools, but I think I was only at the other elementary school for two years. So I had a transition when we had, we dropped sections 
And so then I moved to the other school and then we got that section back. But at that point, I already had my stuff there. So I'm like, well, we'll just stay there for now. Um, And then I was able to go back to my homeschool because there's nothing like when you have a, a school family. So both schools are absolutely fantastic, but I had just so many close friends there. So it was just nice to return there. You became, I mean, you got a, an award as a digital innovator. When did technology become big? You started using it probably in your own class, right? Yeah. And so going back, and I know I was mentioning about how, when I started teaching, how it wasn't what I expected. And, and I think it was over the course of time where our two boys were born and um, with our youngest, I ended up staying home for a few years And in that time span, I was able to start learning back through their lens and just how much, how curious they were and how much wonder and awe there was and everything and how many, how much they were learning just by exploring outside. And it just really reinvigorated my whole concept of teaching. And I'm like, okay, I need to approach this differently. Yes, we have mandates and yes, we have assessments and these teacher manuals. But when I returned after that childcare leave, I went in and totally began transforming what I did. So it didn't necessarily start with technology, but it started with, okay, how can I take what this, what the expectations here are in this teaching manual and how can I make it more authentic and engaging, which was fantastic. So, you know, I really had to find ways to be innovative in different ways and begin working on those projects. And I think it was, I can't tell you when I began integrating technology because it was quite a few years ago. It was when I was teaching second grade initially. So gosh, at least six years ago, we started using some different tools. Um, And it really began with finding tools where they could demonstrate their learning differently. I can't remember the act. I want to say it was maybe telegami, telegami. I'm not sure the right. Oh, I know that one. Yes. Okay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I think that's that's right. Telegami. I think that's it. Yeah. And so the kids were recording with their little avatars and explaining the science concepts that they learned. And so that was just one of the first times I began playing around with things. And I began looking at technology instead of putting kids on an app where they can read and respond to questions, which is helpful too. So there's nothing wrong with that, but also looking at how can you leverage technology to really empower learning and give the kids a voice. Oh, well, see, I was an ed tech consultant thinking, oh, this is the most wonderful thing in the whole world. I mean, when I started Mm -hmm. teaching, I was, people thought I was kind of crazy. I was taking computers apart and putting them back together, showing the kids. That is neat. Now we've done that too in our in our makerspace where we've pulled all types of things apart. And I think it's been fascinating to look at the inside of computers, but then also under the keyboards when you pull everything up. It's really interesting. Well, it's it's like you don't see what's going on. And if kids can even understand, whoa, I could code this, I could do this. Absolutely. It, it's really it's a whole new language. It's just wonderful. But so then you were you were given an award from New York. Yes, yes, um, I did receive an award, and um, I was really grateful. It was we had a cohort of people, and it was really nice because what was happening back when I received this award several years ago, and it's ongoing, is that teachers could be nominated and then be chosen for awards. But it was all about it had nothing to do with student growth or assessment scores. It had everything to do with how you were innovating in the classroom. They were looking for people who were um, leveraging the power of project-based learning, makerspace, coding, all of that. So it was a really great opportunity to be able to share out what we were doing. And then what was nice is that through that, it almost became, we well, we had a cohort. And so with that, we were able to connect with different projects. So our project with my group, we connected with our state universities to be able to develop more of a connection between what's happening 
at the local school level and what's happening at our state universities so we can be more cohesive and work together. Yeah, it's amazing what you've been doing um, because, you know, a lot of people say second grade, you know, or even young kids can't use technology, but they it's in their lives. Absolutely. And, and even as in my instructional coaching role, that's one of the things that I do is I support teachers with the integration of technology for purposeful and meaningful use. And I am utilized so frequently at the primary schools, and it is amazing to see what these little kindergartners are able to do. Um, so it's and, and it's with kids who don't always have access to technology at home. So it's not like they are technologically savvy behind the scenes. They're just picking it up as we go in the classroom through exploration. I think their brains are wired different than yes. even when your when your kids were little. Because you said they're mm-hmm. now 15, 13 and fifteen. Yes. Well, just imagine the kids now. They they're born into this world and they see their parents mm-hmm. have all the tools and resources. And I mean. Yep. It's, it's very different now. I'm just looking at all the awards you've gotten. You've got a lot of awards. You're pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You, got- you know, I think, I think every teacher is deserving of awards. You know, yeah. I really do. Well, I guess the thing is, is just sharing what you do. It gets noticed, which is great. But um, I, my job is to try to get out there and share what people are doing. And sometimes I'm just blown away because, you know, I, when I started learning more about you, I was like, wow, you did that. And you also wrote another book you wrote, um, where's that education right now? When was that? Uh, That was two summers ago. So yeah, it was, that was a fantastic opportunity. And it was just such an honor to work along so many educators who I admire myself. And it was an amazing time of really coming together to write a book for an amazing cause. And all the proceeds for that book go to the Will to Live Foundation. And, really? it, and that foundation is to raise awareness and prevent teen suicide. So it's just the Will to Live Foundation is fantastic if you ever look that up. Um, one thing I will say is that I'm really fortunate that with the awards that I've won, that with every single one, it hasn't just been a flat, like here you're getting an award. Like every award has been really just an opportunity to have more experiences to give back to communities and services. So even with PBS, with the PBS Digital All-Star and Lead Digital Innovator of New York, it wasn't the recognition. The recognition is fantastic, absolutely. Like everybody loves and deserves recognition. I think all educators do. But what I have loved about PBS is that I've had the opportunity for years now to participate in collaboration with them. Oh, and they're amazing. They really are. And so we've done all kinds of webinars and provided so many resources for free for teachers, which has been incredible. Just great to be a part of. So are you doing workshops for PBS or? We do. We have one actually coming up next month. And I'm super excited about this one. So we've done, um, the ones that I've done have to do oftentimes with science or STEM and inquiry-based learning. So this one is going to be on Mali of Denali. So if you know Mali of Denali, it is all about the Alaskan native culture. Um, And it's a new hit show and it highlights um, how you can use purposeful technology outside and inside and also using informational text in an engaging way. So the characters are using informational text, they're researching, they're using their technology to take pictures um, and even to just look up information as well. And, And so we're actually partnering with Nell Duke, who is just a guru when it comes to literacy and informational text. She has several books out and our webinar is going to be on fostering culturally responsive teaching and equity with oh. Molly of Denali. Can we put that up on the 
blog that. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, I think so many of us educators are doing amazing work in the mm. field. And, um, and I think that's what it's all about. It's, we need to be able to recognize one another and then think about how we can give back, whether it's in our local community, within our state, even at the national level, which I know you do as well. So I think it's just so important. I mean, we do need a culture of innovation, especially now. We need people to be able to understand that we can connect, but we can also, with since with your background in psychology, you mentioned about how everyone learns. You mentioned that in the book, that we need to find the gifts that everybody has and let them share, you know, and, and explore. You also had mentioned a maker mindset. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you introduced in your school? Yeah, so it was, I want to say 2015, around that time that I began seeing the concept of makerspace come about, and it really jived with a lot of the things that I was already doing in my classroom, and I just ran with it, and I was really fortunate because the principal at our school was just all over it, and he was very supportive. Um, We had a director at our school, too, at the time who was incredibly supportive. She allowed us to form a committee and she told us to really dream big. And we did, but we did a lot of research, a lot of planning. But one thing that we knew when we wanted to create a makerspace, so a space where kids could go and create, explore, inquire, and make, um, we knew that it was going to be really important that they had that mindset first. Because so many kids, when they go in to make, a lot of the kids surprisingly are like, I don't know what I want to make or tell me what to make. And they look for it to be like assigned to them or to be given a recipe. And so it was a different concept. So when it comes to launching the maker mindset, it's really about leveraging the power of literacy. So we used a lot of books, like what do you do with with a big idea? We had so many different books that we have utilized to be able to just foster a maker mindset. So a mindset that embraces that it's okay that we fail forward, right? We can make mistakes or we may fail, but it's what we do with it. It's how we persevere through and how we learn from that mistake and that everybody has a big idea. Oh, I love that. Uh, kids hate to fail. They don't I get know, it. They really do. Actually, it's people. Yeah. It's yeah, not people in general. And they don't realize you can learn from your mistakes, especially if you're doing this with young children. It's, it's just wonderful. I think it's even with adults too, that maker mindset mm-hmm. is so important because I think sometimes as educators, we get so accustomed to making the plans and planning out the day and finding the assignments, but even adults can cultivate that maker mindset in themselves that it's okay to involve the kids and give them the ownership over what they want to create and make and that they can partner with us and we can allow them to collaborate with us on what things look like in the classroom too. Oh, I I love that. Do you want to just kind of share just a little bit about your book, Take a Leap? Sure, I can share a little bit. So um, LEAP is an acronym to begin with, and it stands for Illuminous Culture. It's about shining a light on every individual's creative potential. Um, The E is for empowered learning. It's encouraging students to take ownership of their education. Authenticity in learning is the A. So we tap into passions to create relevant learning experiences. And the P stands for potential. So we want to ignite a movement of inspired, confident learners. And in the book, I share a lot about the six C's of reimagining learning. And one of those is curiosity. So one thing that I I believe deeply is that our students need to be able to feel curious, not just in kindergarten and preschool, but all the way through. We need to get at the heart of what really matters to them and how do we spark meaningful learning so that they feel inspired to learn and want to learn, not just doing it out of compliance or for a grade. So, you know, so often I hear that teachers say that they're that kids are unmotivated or they don't care. And 
Maybe some don't to some degree, but I really think that, you know, I've worked from with kids from all backgrounds and communities and kids do care, but we have to really strive to inspire them and we have to help them to identify their strengths and interests to develop those passions. And when we do, we see a different side to our learners. I was trying to write down the quote because I always want to quote. <laughs> and you said that, I mean, this whole thing about sparking curiosity, because a lot of times kids are just sitting there and compliant because they kind of learned that if they're compliant, that's how they learn. They think that's it. Like you mm-hmm. just said, this idea of the maker mindset, but also right. empowering them so they want to learn more. Yes. The key is starting with fostering authentic relationships that are trusting, you know, and it takes time to empower learning and create the conditions to empower learning. But ultimately learning should feel meaningful. They should feel like they can connect to it. And we know when students are really empowered, when they start taking work outside of school and doing it at home on their own terms. Well, I guess we should talk about what's going on right now then. If that's oh, okay. sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're right now in the middle of a crisis with the uh, coronavirus and a lot of families are not sure what to do because I live in California, you live in New York, and I have people that are now working with their children at home and they don't know what to do. I just have to tell you, you wrote the most wonderful blog that just kind of laid out some real simple ideas. But I also think... You, you and I were talking before we uh, started recording about what we can do to support all of us because you're a parent, you know, and a teacher mm-hmm. and you're coaching. Let's just yes. kind of share some ideas. Maybe that'll help some people. Absolutely. Yes. I'm home right now. And sometimes we might think like, oh, teenagers are easier. They should be more independent. But, <laughs> you know, they, they have an idea of what days will look like themselves. And Um, because I do believe in empowering learning. And I did create a general schedule that is flexible. And I think sometimes kids really do thrive with seeing an outline of some of the things, what the day could look like. Um, My oldest son decided that he would take that schedule and make it his own. And that was totally fine. So it's not something that we have to rigidly stick to, but it's something that allows us to know what are some things that are expected throughout the day and what is just healthy for us, you know? So I think that's been really important. And I think it's important for families to understand that, yes, school may be sending work home. It may be remote learning online, and we understand what that might look like. And then in our case, our kids have many worksheets coming home just because the school is not equipped at this time to provide everybody with access to technology, and they're just not set up that way. And so everybody's at a different place. And so, of course, the boys are kind of working through their assignments little by little, And fortunately, they're not overloaded with so many worksheets or anything, but we're also using this time for them to develop some of their own passions and interests. So my oldest son, Julian, is going to be joining um, Don Wetrick. He has a group that he's starting for helping kids to learn entrepreneurship and innovation, which is right up my oldest son's alley because he has already started a little business plan of his own for what he wants to do. And then our youngest is very into sports and um, science and and different things like that. So we're going to have different activities. And I think that it's just, if parents are able to, it's a nice time to be able to take a step back and say, how can our kids learn differently? What are some things that we can expose them to and get them doing that they might not be able to do in the traditional day of a school day? I like that because I mean, this is so much for parents. I, I can't even imagine what they're going through right now, especially if they have to work at home. I know. And so you and I, I've been putting things out and I know you have. Mm-hmm. I think that 
just being able to share that idea is, I mean, just take a breath and stop for a minute yes. and look at your kids and figure out that this is something that we're all going to go and work on together. Yeah. And I think that we have to cut ourselves a break too and, and give ourselves grace that it's not going to look perfect all of the time and nor does it look perfect in the classroom. So um, I think there's going to be a lot, uh, just a greater appreciation for education and teachers in general after all of this passes, hopefully sooner than later, because um, <laughs> we don't know how long this might last. But yeah, I think it's, we need, we know our kids need to stay on track to some extent. Absolutely. But I think we also need to be able to like you said, just take a breath and step back a little bit and look at what this could look like for our kids. There might be some a silver lining of some of this. I mean, at first, people, the fear is, and, mm-hmm, and the right. unknown is, um, you know, it's very scary and you don't know what yet to do. But um, it seems like it could be an opportunity to really get to take time to really even unplug a little bit, go outside mm-hmm. or um do some other, you said some things about some people were even maybe doing some geocaching or doing some scavenger hunts or some other things that you might not do normally because you're so busy with your work. But if you're told you have to work at home. Yeah. And kids are still learning through that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's, what's important to remember that kids, it doesn't have to just be a computer program. It doesn't have to just be the worksheets. Um, Get the kids outside if they're able to, as long as you're not sheltering in place, um, but get them doing other things that they can learn through, even if it's cooking. Yeah. Now we're sheltering in place, but they said to go outside, just okay, be good. six feet apart, <laughs> which is not that easy. But um, right. but with your family, it's a little different. So the other thing is there's so many things you can do inside, which is recipes. And yeah, absolutely. Come in, have everyone, you know, be part of things and look at new ways to even live and learn. Exactly. And it is, it's, it's interesting because we're spending more time even doing puzzles with one another. And I think it's bringing us together a bit as a family. Time will tell, but I think there are some opportunities that will be positive too from everything. Now that kind of the world's been topsy-turvy, this also means that your life is different because Mm -hmm. you're not, I'm, and for me also, I'm not going out and doing events and, you know, workshops and stuff. So, um, you're going to do this uh, PBS webinar. Have you have some other ideas of some things? Well, I, I have the PBS webinar and, you know, I'm playing around with some other ideas. I'm thinking about maybe I'll start a podcast there during this time. Maybe I'll create some different resources for families. You know, I, I think that it's in our world, suddenly you get some time and ideas on what could I do differently with this time. Although I will say my time because of having the kids around too is a little bit different. So at first I'm like, oh, I'm going to have all this work time. And then I remember, oh, but we all have to be able to do things together and I need to hold them accountable for what they're accomplishing too. So um, in June, I do have, I have coming up the DBC Pirate Con in ISTE at the end of June. And so I think we're all waiting to see what will end up happening with those events. I'll be there if it's going. <laughs> I know, me too. But um you know, I was thinking of your son, Julian, you know, you talked about a podcast. My son helps me with my podcast and all of a sudden he's starting to do some things on his own. I'm wondering if, you know, Don might even want to work with him. Don Wetrick is amazing, by the mm-hmm. way. I, I know he really loves is. that man. I'm just curious what, I, in fact, I want to watch what he's going to develop. 
mm-hmm. if he has his Absolutely. time. Yes, I, I'm really excited about it. And um, yeah, my son is very much into video production and editing. And so mm-hmm. he's actually doing a little bit of work behind the scenes for Lavana Roth, who has a series yeah, that she has coming together um, for a webinar and that she's doing soon. So he has that that he'll, he'll be working on. So he's working on some projects to kind of build up. And then I'm excited to see what he'll do with Don Wetrick and where that will lead. So oh my it's good goodness. stuff. See, it's exciting. It's, it's funny how the community, we can all pull together and help each other. And our kids, I mean, they're watching us. And like yep. I said, my my son, my daughter helped make my website. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everything is just and my son is not only, you know, he's an entrepreneur. They're all entrepreneurial in a way. If you give them mm-hmm. the opportunity, especially with yes. you, they're watching you. And so they're seeing, and your husband probably too. Yeah. And it's interesting because my oldest right now, you know, it's one of those um, double-edged swords because I don't necessarily believe that every individual has to go to college to be successful. We know that Silicon Valley hires people straight out of high school at different times too. And we know that Google doesn't even look at GPAs all of the time. And so we have all this information. And I don't know how much of this I speak at home, but somewhere my oldest has absorbed a lot of that. So he, you know, he right now he's like, I don't know if I want to go to college. I might go to college. But I mean, he literally in his room has this whiteboard with this whole business plan. He's in there right now working on his website. Oh my goodness. And, and it's and it is fantastic. And of course he he's got that mindset. And then other times he's just a typical 15-year-old doing 15-year-old things. But I see him doing all those things, which is fantastic. And it's tricky because while I don't believe every child needs to go to college for everything, I think there's that mindset that's so ingrained too that we feel like, but it's so valuable. And it is valuable for other things too, aside from getting a degree and deepening your learning because I think you have so many opportunities to socialize and connect and grow even culturally with people. But I'm staying open-minded to see what he wants to do and in, in the path that he's on. So well, it's exciting. Higher ed might be in trouble too with this virus. So we don't know yet. He might be ahead of the curve because he might look at things virtually on, on what he can do. Yeah, that might be. I think this is an opportunity, even though it is a challenge that's very scary, mm-hmm. but it's it an is. opportunity for us to really rethink our lives. What are we here for? I feel the same way. And I don't know if I'm just deeply philosophical, but that's yeah. exactly how I've been too. I mean, yes, is it, does it create some anxiety in us because we don't know what will happen? It, it absolutely does. And we don't know what things will look like, but there are some opportunities in here that we can kind of rethink what we're all doing as individuals, as family units. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be interesting to see what comes of everything. And hopefully there are some positives in there. Well, I think the one thing is building the relationships and keeping those going with you, at least your family. Yeah. And of making course. them stronger. Some people don't need, I mean, with technology, I, I've i thought, talked to some people say they don't even talk and <laughs> they just look at their phones. Well, Maybe this will help, you know, give yeah, us bring some time to really back. talk and, and get to know each other. And I am so grateful to have this time. See, that's the one thing. With technology, I was able to have this wonderful time with you today and get to know you better. It's just wonderful. I know. It's been fantastic talking with you. Oh, Liz, you're just amazing. And like I said, we're going to put this uh, blog post together with some of the resources that you mentioned. I think everyone's going to have to get your book. So, (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And congratulations on the release of your new book, too. So that is very exciting. Oh, thank you. Well, it's all about the why. And I think we've We just talked about a lot of what we're here for. So thank you so much. Thank you. This is Barbara Bray. 
Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Liz Bostwick. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast about Liz. That is on my Rethinking Learning website and will include resources and much more about her story. You can subscribe to my website at barbabray.net and then you'll receive announcements, updates, and there's also some information with guiding questions about my book, Define Your Why. I also hope you subscribe to my podcast because we will be sharing ideas and stories while we are staying home during this crisis. Now we need each other more than ever. All of our stories matter. Keep sharing your story. Please stay healthy and be safe.